The reading of the scriptures from Isaiah chapter 58, reading verses 1 to 5. So let us hear the word of God. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? A form uh, is uh, important in lots of uh, things in life. Uh, I remember when I was... Uh, Going through some training in the army, they had this exercise where you uh, swing on this ladder. I could always pass the test, but I could never max it out. Now, what's the deal? Why can't I max this out? I mean, what's so hard about swinging on this ladder? Well, some guy said, well, Barisos, because you're an idiot. If you use this form, you can. I just use that as an illustration that in many, many things in life, form is extremely important. Hitting a baseball. Form is virtually everything. don't care much for golf, but I suspect in golf, uh, form is very, very important. And it is also true in the Christian faith. We have external form that is manifestly important. Some have more than others, but that's a different a subject for a different day. But the greater issue behind the form is that something else must uh, be attached to it. And that, of course, is the heart and in faith. Uh, form absent heart and faith uh, is, uh, is wrong. And so it is that heart and faith absent form is also wrong. Again, both most uh, go together, and that's exactly where uh, the great prophet Isaiah is taking us this morning. Uh, because the nation is complaining that God does not acknowledge their form. In the text, it's their fasts. Uh, they are partaking of a great external form, and they're complaining, of course, uh, that God isn't acknowledging their form. Uh, God turns on them and says, it's because your fasting is totally self-serving. You and I might say that form absent heart is lifeless and meaningless. And heart and faith absent form... Uh, is pure mysticism and subjectivity. Again, both must go together. 
So the prophet begins in the first two verses by addressing that the people uh, have a failure of form. And God commands the prophet to cry out loudly and not to hold back, meaning that he wants a great deal of emphasis to be placed upon his outcry. Uh, the simile, like a ram's horn or shofar, enforces this. Uh, the blowing of the shofar was, again, to get people's attention. And so, again, these words are to get people's attention. Uh, the content of the address, again, is their form. Isaiah chapter 58 in the second verse. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness that has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Just simply saying, you have great form. You have great form, children of Israel. Maybe it's an address to some of you. You have good form, but form is never enough. In fact, uh, while they were zealous for form by partaking of many fasts, as I've suggested time and again, it's never just the external form or the external practice of religion. Let's look at uh, the first chapter, the book of Isaiah, in the 10th verse. Because God's going to condemn their form because they lack faith and heart. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Now that's a good way to address Israel, isn't it? It's an ironic form of address. Give ear to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So they have good form, but they're missing something with those two names, to be sure. Now, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear for me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? God is angry, isn't he? He's angry at something more than their form. It's a reminder to us that we may come to church and represent the external form of the Christian faith. But that can never be enough and never be alone, as important as it is. Now look at the 29th chapter of our prophet this morning, in the 13th verse. Because his people draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Now by the way, that condemnation of Israel is true of many people in the faith. They got the tradition down. It's absent the hearts, absent faith. They all know all the rules. They know the liturgy. They know when to bow, when to stand up. All the form they got, never enough before God. It condemns it, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Be very careful of establishing your faith a mere tradition, because if that is all that it is, you're in serious trouble. And of course, God is rejecting uh, their form. Again, form absent the heart is superstition and works, and heart absent form is spirituality and subjectivism. Both must occur together. The failure is seen in their complaint and the answer of God, verses 3 to 5. Uh, their complaint is in the first part of verse 3. Why we have fasted and you don't see. Well, we have humbled ourselves and 
Uh, you do not notice. Uh, likely a reference to the Day of Atonement, which was the only mandated day uh, for fasting by law. Uh, what they're really doing is complaining, hey, God, we're doing our part. Guess what? You're not doing yours. New American Standard has, you're not taking notice. Uh, we give, but you don't pay us back. That's a great way to look at the Christian faith, isn't it? That we come with external form and say, okay, God, we've done our part, now pay up. Uh, something of this in uh, Jeremiah chapter 14, the 12th verse. When they fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Rather, I'm going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. God, again, God's not very happy with their form. Now, if all you're doing is playing church, I would suggest that you have a pretty serious problem. Uh, Prophet Malachi Last book of the Bible, chapter 3 and verse 14. They complain. It's vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Just simply the way of many people in the church. They put material expectations upon God. They play the outward form and they expect God to deliver and to pay up. Uh, but again, our faith is not a system of works. Uh, we don't come and say, well, God, I, I practiced the form, now uh, get me the promotion, get me the job, uh, get me the girlfriend, or whatever the case may be. Make me a better golfer. I do my part in our culture. We do our part. We expect uh, the analog to do their part. But that's not the way of God. remember reading in uh, this week's uh, daily newspaper, one of the columns, uh, 43-year-old nurse uh, writes in to, I don't know, dear Abby or whoever. And she was complaining that she had contracted uh, or was in stage four of prostate cancer. And uh, she admitted that she was mad at God. And that she was chucking the faith. I don't know where it's written in the Bible that you become a Christian and then... Uh, all the forms of the curse are lifted from you. It's not in this life to be sure. You're not going to escape the forms of the curse, even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians get cancer. Christians die. Christians go through terrible events and experiences, just like the lost. The difference of our faith is not in this world. And I'm not unmindful that God changes our hearts and gives us love and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. But again, we don't work for God so He'll pay us back and get us a better job and fix our contracts and fix every relationship. We can go dancing through the tulips and everything is okay. Me and my heart went out to that nurse. What a terrible thing to be 43 years old, have stage 4 prostate cancer. But what a terrible thing to go through that alone, absent the church. Nonetheless, I'm not unmindful that Christians get mad at God. Reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes in God who justifies the unrighteous, his faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. Now that's something to die for, to live for, that God 
would see us as sinners and yet impute to us the righteousness of his beloved son. It's a reason to have more than just external form. The more telling reality, as you know, is that form absent the heart is worthless and lifeless. And so God's going to respond to their complaint. Not expect that on occasion you've complained to God. That's part of our prayers. We, we lament sometimes. Our hearts get broken. We go through difficult times. Nothing wrong complaining. But be very careful about acting on your complaints because that can get you in serious trouble. A reminder here is that form must be coupled with a heart of, uh, of humbleness, of brokenness, and contrition before God. Let's look at how God responds to their complaint. Uh, first is the second, second part of the third verse. Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire, and you drive hard all your workers. The text isn't clear, but it indicates that in some way or the form, what they're doing is self-serving. Uh, you, you're going, you're engaging in this fast and you're really trying to just accomplish what you want. Uh, maybe they were just giving to God so that they could get from God. It's a wrong reason to participate in the faith. But we come to worship. Be very careful about putting your expectations upon the Lord God High Almighty. Secondly, you drive hard your workers. This is a very instructive text because it means that they are fasting. Perhaps it's a day of atonement. Uh, they're engaging the outward form, but their servants at home better be working their tails off. Well, if you know the law, stranger or Jew, uh, they were all to take Sabbath off. No one was to work. In their case, they were going to the day of atonement, worshiping God and making sure all of their household servants were sweating profusely, doing the chores and keeping up the duties of the household or the ranch, whatever the case might be. In other words, they were openly violating the Scripture. It's never good form to violate the Scripture. Never. It's the word of the Lord, but that's exactly what they were doing. Giving to get and making sure all of their employees were working on the Sabbath while they were participating in outward form on the Sabbath. I mean, I would simply remind you, if you just go to church to go to church, to get the hour done, uh, to please your mother, your father, your wife, whoever. Maybe you need to rethink your outward form. Thirdly, verse 4, you fast for contention and strife and you strike with a wicked fist. I don't know about you, but uh, I know lots of people when they get hungry. You better be very careful and step wisely around them because they get on edge. I mean, I don't know. I can think of the infants I've raised. Not that I've raised very many and I certainly didn't do it by myself. But uh, when my young lads uh, were infants and they got hungry, uh, uh, you 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 took notice. You couldn't help but take notice. My goodness. But adult, adults get like that too. Get hungry and uh, just simply uh, cop an attitude. That's exactly what these folks are doing. Isaiah chapter 58. They're fasting because they have to. Just the outward form and because they're hungry, they're on edge. And what happens when you get on edge? Well, you start stepping on people's toes, among other things, and perhaps... Uh, 
unwinding your tongue with uh, words that you ought not to unwind over. Uh, they're also combative. Have you ever heard someone say, maybe your spouse, you know, I, I've got to get back to the office. Just got things to do. You know, got to leave. Well, they're going to worship God on the Sabbath, partaking in a fast, and all the while they're wondering about, oh my gosh, can I reconcile my checkbook? Can I make payroll this month? Well, if that's what you're thinking about in church, I would commend to you to rethink your worship of God. If you're thinking about all the things you need to do the rest of the week, again, uh, calibrate your thoughts and hear the word of the Lord, the prophet Isaiah. Because their heart is not in it. They're not genuine. Their thoughts are in the world. They have the form, fasting, observing the Sabbath, but no broken heart. And God makes it clear that it's more than form. Uh, he does so in the concluding verse. It's not the fast that I choose. That all you're doing on a Sunday morning is checking the block to fulfill the task. I would commend to you the reality that you're in spiritual trouble. Wonderful illustration of this in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 4. Uh, they had developed a good luck charm that they thought was going to protect them from the Babylonian invasion. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, fourth verse. Do not trust in deceptive words saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. When I go to church, what else do you expect? They thought because they had the temple, where presumably God localized his presence, that the Gentile nations could never invade them and be successful. What they had forgotten is that God had long since left. It's much more than external form. Much more than external form. I would encourage you on any given Sunday morning to awaken and have a time of preparation of the heart. Reminding yourself that this is a day to worship and honor God gather with his people. Uh, reminder of the prophet Jeremiah is that religiosity will not prevent judgment. No one's going to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, God, what do you expect? I, I went to church every now and then. Uh, again, it's not one. It's not simply the heart or faith. It's also the form. Both must go together. It's somewhat epidemic among Christians that I know that, oh, church is a waste of time. I have the heart and faith. I'm going to worship God at home. I'm going to go into the forest and have a picnic, and there I'll worship God. No, that's bad form. That's not the form that God gives to you. He says, do not neglect your assembling of yourselves together. Participate in the external form. But in and of itself, that's not enough. Something else must be present. Uh, the New Testament, of course, excels in what that something else is. That form in the heart must, must go together. Uh, the greatest illustration of this all is uh, our Lord's teaching uh, to the Pharisees because they had made an art form of external form. 
remember my good friend Al McCartney told me he went to Israel once, and going through the uh, airport, uh, they had this cubicle, plexiglass, and a an Orthodox Jew stepped into the cubicle and went through all of the external form of putting on the phylacteries and on his forehead and on his hand and all it and and really it was like, hey, look at me. Am I not special? Problem is that God doesn't just measure the external form. It's important. Absent your faith, I think it's wrong, but it's much more than saying, hey, look at me. Uh, We find this in Matthew chapter 6. Because the Pharisees, again, had made an art form out of the external practice of the faith. And so Jesus is going to correct them. And perhaps in the process, He will correct all of us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. When you when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Again, fasting, verses 16 to 18. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. By the word, the word for hypocrites is that from which we have our, our word for actor, pretender. He puts on a mask. Hey, look at me. No, God sees behind the mask. That's the point of the text. God sees behind your costumes. For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men. And your Father who sees in secret will pay you. Notice the form. You do it in secret. You practice the external reality. You pray, you fast, you give. But you do it so as not to be noticed by men. Remember I had a colleague at work that said in his church there was a time during the service in which people were to give. Well, nothing wrong with that. But what they did is they all came forward to give. Happened to be some professional athletes in the congregation. What do you think people were doing when they came forward? Why don't we just go buy a big bag of 20 or 30 silver dollars and empty it into the the plate so people will notice and say, man, isn't that guy generous? Man, man, that's cool. I hear all that noise, those great big dollars. That's the form, but it's absent the heart, the broken, the contrite spirit, the humility of the faith that must be attached to the form. You have to have both, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot have one without the other. If you don't come, you're wrong. If you don't come, you are wrong. Because Jesus is emphasizing the form. But if all you do is come with form, then you are wrong as well. Because God looks in secret upon the heart and judges the heart 
the thoughts and tensions of men. Again, a reminder of the text. Uh, the sense is to be inconspicuous. Do it so that men won't notice because you're not engaging the faith for men to notice. Uh, men don't have to know. You know why? God knows and that's all that's matter. Three times in the verses that I read, we have the phrase in secret. Verse 4, verse 6, verse 18. Then in reality, when we go to church, and we are to go to church, our philosophy here is there's an audience of one, the Lord God. And He's looking not at your form, but your heart. If that doesn't cause us to be humble, then again, I would submit to you the reality that we are we're in trouble. Secrecy in your worship of God. Even though you're doing it in the presence of men, secrecy is good form because you're doing it for Him and Him alone. It's the same thing with, with prayer. Uh, our prayers, of course, as you are technically uh, not informing God, but rather they are reminding us of who He is and driving us to the divine provision in abject and total dependence upon God. Now, we're not changing God, we're changing ourselves in our prayers. We don't come just to pray uh, as if God looks at a bunch of words, the external form. Uh, we pray because our hearts are broken, because we're in abject need of the presence and the power of God. Matthew, uh, Jesus had something Something else. Uh, uh, you don't have to say the same words over and over and over again. God knows. A couple of times is enough. Uh, again, a reminder that we pray essentially with broken hearts, acknowledging who we are as sinners for the grace of God to meet us in our form because our hearts meet Him and His majesty and His infinite perfections. Please don't come to church just for the external form. Just to please your spouse. Just to please mom and dad. Because that will eventually get you in trouble. You don't come to church just so you can get names to call to sell insurance policies to or whatever business you're in. You come because of who God is and because of who you are. Point of this teaching moment is also captured for us uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 12 uh, verses 41 to 44. He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury and how many rich people were putting in large sums. Again, that's, that's, that's good form. You have to have form, but notice the correction. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors of the treasury. Well, they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. She gave, even though she was in abject need. That's the right form. I, I love perhaps my favorite of all of this. The importance of form is 
found for us in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Two men practicing the faith. Both have form. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I think that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Well, It's form, but it's not good form. It comes in pride. It's never good form to meet God with a proud heart. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. It's the way of God. Form's important, but form absent the heart. Places you in terrible jeopardy. Notice the appeal of the tax gatherer. Be merciful to me. And then he puts the definite object. The, the sinner. In the sense that he sees himself as so evil that he constitutes a party of one. He understands that he was a sinner in need of the grace of God. And that's who God meets with. Someone who truly understands the desperateness of their condition apart from mercy and grace. His contrition and standing far off, not looking at the temple and beating his breast reinforces to us that he knows he has no merit whatsoever at all to bring to God. A reminder, he comes with a heart. Comes with form. He's praying. He's in the right place, even though he's somewhat removed from it. But he has a broken heart. That's the way you go to God. It's the way you worship God. You have the right form. But you also have the right heart right faith. It is such that Jesus acknowledges. It's the best of form. Humble heart. Now we ought to come with a full recognition that God doesn't owe us anything except eternal perdition and judgment. But He comes because of the work of His Son to give us mercy and grace, to call us to Himself, to lead us and to guide us to distant shores uh, because we are his sons and heirs of the everlasting kingdom. And all along the way, it's the heart, the heart. Practicing the form, but also with the right heart, faith. Climax of form to me is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure and hard in the sense of a singular focus. Lots of things are important in life. Lots of things in life must be addressed, but there is one that is preeminent above them all, and that is to serve the one true living God who owns us and who has called us to himself through Jesus Christ our Savior. The pure in heart. Doesn't mean they're, they're imperfect or that they've reached a stage of perfection. It means that they have, above all things, a singularity of focus, that there is one thing in life that's important, and that's to stand before God with a broken heart, praising Him for His mercy and His goodness to us in His Son. Just simply the reminder to us, we have come this morning in form, 
but I trust that there's something else. The heart, humility, appraising God, not because we deserve his good pleasure, but that he gives it to us sovereignly because of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, let's remember, uh, you cannot practice your faith absent form. That's a folly that's taking hold in the American church experience and the lives of many, many people. But you cannot just come in form absent the heart. Sitting in the pew worrying about your business, worrying about whether you left your oven on or not. By the way, did you? You're in trouble. Remember, practice both. And may God's rich blessings upon us. It's a wonderful illustration of uh, bad form uh, that is really our subject this morning. The sacrament of the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Uh, The Corinthians had the form. They were meeting for the sacrament. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. Uh, when you meet together, so they're meeting, they've got the form, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Something terrible is happening. Verse 28. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Uh, they were going to the Lord's table, and some of the people were hogging all the food. And some of the people were hogging all the wine and getting drunk. Bad form to violate the Scripture. Bad form to miss the entire sense of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, That we come with broken hearts. Uh, We come with the full acknowledgement that our Lord Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, suffered upon the cross. Shed His blood in payment for our sins to ransom us at the total expense of himself, that we might have life. That we come to focus upon uh, the elements of the Lord's table. Uh, here in a minute, we're going to pass uh, the bread and the, and, the, and the cup. I know you're not coming just for the calories. I know you're not coming just for the thirst. You're coming because you recognize that you are participating with the host of the table is the Lord Jesus. Uh, that he comes to spiritually commune with his people, to remind them summarily of the entirety of the benefits that accrue to us from the new covenant, that we are forgiven, we are sons because of, because of him, because of him alone. And we come in preparation uh, for the table to examine the heart, to know the body and the blood of Christ, And to know that in our hearts, there's nothing else that was the cause of our salvation. Absolutely nothing. We bring nothing that's meritorious. Uh, We come in faith apprehending Him, uh, to fellowship with Him, uh, because He comes to fellowship with us. I am glad this morning that in the form of the Christian faith, you have obeyed the Lord God Almighty, to come, to eat and to drink. But I also know that you must come properly, with a contrite spirit, dealing with sin, recognizing like the tax gatherer that in many aspects you are the sinner. 
And knowing that in the grace of God and His mercy and kindness to you, He came. He came for you. He claimed you. He shed His blood. He gave His body. He withheld nothing. That when we have occasion to prepare our hearts for the the bread and the cup, uh, we at some point in the silence and quietness of our hearts before the Lord God, praise Him for His mercy. There's no other reason He came. His mercy to you. And so let us practice the form of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Not as a magical event. Not because God will be impressed or our neighbor will see us. Because of all that it means. The fulfillment of the new covenant. Forgiveness of sin. Fellowship of the Son. Reminding us in all of the vagaries of this life if He was faithful to you at the cross, He will be faithful to you at every point of the venue of the step of your life until He snatches you into heavenly glory. So let's come. Let's come with the right form. A broken heart, a thankful spirit. And so let's prepare our hearts to receive the bread. The incarnate Son of God who left nothing, who paid it all, that we might live and be the heirs of God throughout all time and eternity. And let's, and let's in the silence of our own experience, reflect upon the heart and His grace and His grace alone as we prepare in the provision of the faith to receive the bread of the sacrament of the table of our precious Lord.